Thank you for joining us here at Crossword Church for this week's message. Our desire is to see people's lives transform as they develop an authentic relationship with Jesus. We would like to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So take a moment and visit us online at mycrosswordchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. We know that today is the 4th of July weekend, right? And so um, it's, it was a different one, wasn't it, for everybody? Different, you know? And, um, and so um, we understand that we're in a season where God is doing some incredible things. And for the natural mind, it, it, it really challenges us to really understand fully what God is doing. But the believer, we as, as believers, we have to trust God. We have to depend on him and know that he knows our future. The Bible says he makes known the end from the beginning, meaning that everything that we're encountering right now is not a surprise to God. Amen? Uh, just look at your neighbor and just say, did you know that? Do you know? They probably can't see you in the mask, but just, you know. <laughs> Amen. And so, um, so I'm going to jump right into the message today. I have a lot that I want to be able to share with you. So let me pray, and then we will... Uh, We'll get started. Father, we love you so much. And Lord, we, know, we don't just love you. We love your word. Oh, my God. We love your word. The Bible declares that the entrance of your word, it produces life and illumination in our lives. That the word of God, it straightens us out. It teaches us what is right and it teaches us what is wrong. It teaches us how to align our lives with the will of the Father. And so, Father, we want to not just be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of your word. And so today we ask that you would uh, quicken our spirit, that you would anoint our ears, Lord God, to hear and our hearts to understand and our will to apply the word of God today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So we've been in a series entitled Visionary, translating crisis into opportunity. And um, and this sir, this uh, this particular series is really designed to encourage us and to challenge us and to help us to refocus our lens in crisis and to be able to start seeing things from God's perspective so that we can see the opportunities that present themselves in the midst of crisis. Uh, as a part two to vision of fatherhood, we started talking about kingdom sonship and we were not able to complete that. And so today, Prayerfully, we're going to complete kingdom sonship today. We're going to talk about the importance of kingdom sonship. And I'm going to start this out um, by just uh, giving you a little scripture. This is not going to be on the screen, but Paul to the Galatians, to the churches in Galatia, he makes this statement that all who are in Christ are sons of God. And last week, we literally unpacked that, that being uh, a son of God doesn't necessarily have to do with gender, necessarily. It has to do with grace. Because Paul begins to unpack in Galatians that in Christ there is neither um, free, there's neither slave, there's neither male nor female, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, that all of us, when we come into Christ, we are in Christ and we are one. And that's our new identification. Amen? So today we're really going to park in Romans chapter, chapter 8. Um, beginning at verses 14 through 16. And most of the scriptures that you're going to see on the screen is going to be from the ESV 
translation. You can follow in any translation that you feel comfortable with, but that's where the scriptures are going to be coming from today. So I'm going to uh, go ahead and read this scripture here for you. I'm just going to read through verse 16 here. Um, so I'm going to start Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received uh, the spirit of adoption as sons. I love these next few words. By which we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself, he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I'm going to come at this in a little bit different way because I'm going to ask the question, what comes to mind when you think of the word father? You know, regardless to um, our background, socioeconomic, religious, whatever, what we do know biblically is that in the world today, we have a lot of boys in men's bodies. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. You know, and whether they walk like this, you know, or they walk like this in the three-piece suits, regardless to how they look, if they do not understand their identity in Christ, the way that they govern themselves is literally boys in men's body living self-centered lives. And so it's critically important for us to understand that God did not leave it up to us to define what fatherhood is or what sonship is. He tells us in his word. Amen? Okay. So depending, we're talking about father just for a second, depending on what your past might have been, images regarding the word fatherhood could run into your mind that might reflect things like care, joy, provision, protection. If you had what would consider to be a good father, Conversely, if your upbringing was not very good, you could have feelings of neglect, bitterness, anger, rejection. All of these emotions are used to define people's experience with the one word, Father. It's critical. It's critical. This is the word that the spirit of adoption brings us into sonship with. He brings us into sonship and he allows us to call Abba, Father. He's crying, Abba, Father. Now the word Abba is an Aramaic term of, of endowment, of intimate relationship and affection. The term is about a profound respect and honor. It literally means that Father is my source. If you unpack this word a little bit more, uh, the word Father literally means creator, nourisher, protector, preserver, upholder. He is the source on earth who is in heaven. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he says, pray like this, our what? Father, our Abba, our source, where? In heaven. See? And that's where we draw 
our strength from. That's where we draw our identity from. And it's amazing because if we've had negative experiences on the earth, with regards to our earthly fathers, we have a heavenly father that we can then lock into, identify with, and get affirmed by that will help us to understand that we are valued and we are of significance on the earth. Amen? Just like the natural father huh, who adopts a son, over time what starts happening is that child begins to resemble um, the words and the attitudes and the conduct of their earthly father. The same happens in the spirit realm. As we are adopted by our heavenly father, we should start having some of his same words, his same thought processes, his same characteristics, his same behavior. That should start becoming a part of our lives. And I believe when we come into the realization of, your, of our heavenly father, and when we understand that it literally means that he is our source, it begins to change everything. It changes everything in how we approach him. It changes everything we will, as, as how we receive from him. How do we relate to him? How we respond to him. And a lot of times we are challenged with running to our Heavenly Father because we have not come into a revelation of, who son, of sonship yet. In Romans 8, we see God, and God has blessed us with the glorious privilege of becoming sons. I also love what John says, as John writes to the churches in uh, John 1, 12, and he says this, but as many as receive him, I love that because it speaks to an inclusiveness of the love of the Father. As many as received him, to them gave him the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's a theologian by the name of William Barclay, and he expresses the idea around adoption that Paul is going to literally draw from in Romans chapter 8. And Barclay says this, the adopted person also loses all rights of the old family and they gain all the rights of the legitimate son in this new family in the most binding and legal way. Now they have a new father and they have a new family. Barclay continues and he says, he became the new, the, the new son or the new child becomes now an heir of the father's estate. Even if other, watch this, even if other sons come afterwards, it does not affect his rights. He has, he has been completely and unequivocally connected, and he is a co-heir with them. The last thing he says is that in law, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. For instance, all of their debts was canceled. He was regarded as a new person entering into a new life in which the past had nothing to do with his future moving forward. In the eyes of the law, the adopted son, the adopted child is an absolute part 
of the family. Somebody say amen to that. Let, let, me, let, me, just, let me just put it this way. Um, Paul talking to the, ch the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18, and he says this. Hmm. From now on, therefore we regard no one after the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, has died. Behold, the new, the, the new has come. Verse 18, and all is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The whole concept of the gospel and the kingdom. And we have to understand this, that Jesus comes on the scene in the midst of um, a Roman occupation. And in the Roman occupation, the mindset is all about nationalism to Caesar, to Rome. And then he comes between that mindset and then a religious mindset that's all about the temple, all about the law, Judaism. And Jesus comes and Jesus declares this as his message. Repent because the kingdom of God has arrived, is at hand. What is Jesus saying? Change the way that you think because the kingdom, and then he begins to proceed to teach us about the kingdom. I'm going to say this again, that Jesus did not bring Christianity. Now, I know every time when I see that, I say that, people kind of push back like, what? No, no. Christianity today has been customized in a, as a social construct for religion. Jesus taught the kingdom of God, the rule of God in the earth as it is in heaven. Because today you can be a Christian and hate your brother. Today you can be a Christian and, and, and lie about your sister. You can, be a, you can be a Christian and committed. You can be a Christian and do whatever you deem fit. But Christ came to bring citizens from heaven into the earth. So we recognize and we walk as citizens of the kingdom of God in the earth. That wasn't on my notes, but that was for somebody. So, so, so here, here's the thing. The idea of sonship is that it gives assurance of salvation. You know, myself included, there are many times in this Christian walk where we can feel um, that our, our faith is being challenged, even shaken by the circumstances that we face. After all, we are in a pandemic, aren't we? And sometimes when you're going through crisis, it causes you to take a step back and to start re-evaluating re your belief systems, your value systems, what do you really need, and then all the why questions begin to rise up in you. If God is so good, why is he allowing X, Y, Z? And so it's vitally important for us as believers that when we are in crisis um, modes or, or situations that we know and we resolve that first of all, God is good. 
See, sometimes you got to just tell yourself that because everything around you might be challenging that principle. You have to also underscore in your mindset that God is sovereign. What I mean by that is that nothing is happening to you that God is not acutely aware of and have made provision for. So in this Christian life, we go through things and we become sometimes shaken, even with regards to our salvation. And this anxiety, this shaking that sometimes happens can cause anxiety and even doubt in our lives. I want you to know that what we're going to unpack today, Romans 8, is about assurance of salvation. But here's the thing. I want us to be very clear about this. I'm going to say this at the outset. If you habitually are walking in the flesh and think that you are saved, you might be in for a little surprise as we unpack this text today. <laughs> okay? See, only those who are walking in the Spirit can really have true assurance that they belong to Jesus. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that he assures us that we are children of God. In the New Testament, assurance of salvation rests on three pillars. They might be more, but I'm just going to talk about three today. First, if your faith is genuine, then you are abandoning trust in self, in sin, in self-centeredness, so that you can trust Christ to receive his love, his righteousness, and his justice. Number two, second pillar, if your faith is genuine, then you possess new life in Christ, and that new life manifests itself in a changed thinking, changed speaking, changed attitudes, changed behaviors. Watch this. Changed appetites. The third one, the third one, third pillar. If your faith is genuine, then you have the inward witness of the Holy Spirit who testifies to your spirit that you are a child of God in every situation and every circumstance. He's there, and he's testifying to you. He's affirming you. Paul is going to give us some signs of true assurance. Let me go to um, Romans 8, verse 14. Let me just read this again. For all who are led, who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. If the Spirit of God is leading you to kill your sinful deeds then you can be assured that you are children of God. See, in the text, in the, in the context of what Paul is talking about, he's not necessarily talking about the fact that the Spirit of God is leading you to decide which college to go to, which job you should, you should, you should take, what you should eat for dinner, what you should wear to church or to the mall. He's not necessarily talking about that. <laughs> Rather, Paul is saying, that if the Holy Spirit is leading you in your life, he would be, he's leading you to put to death the sinful deeds of your flesh. And we're going to read that in, if we back up to verse 12 and 13 of this same chapter. 
Paul says, so then brothers, and for the ladies, we know that when you see brothers, or we know that we're, in, we're all inclusive here. So then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. It means that we don't owe, we don't owe the flesh anything. We don't have to submit to what the flesh is calling us into. We are not we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. When I use the term flesh, when the Bible uses the term flesh, it's talking about that nature that causes us to be who we are, excluding God. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What Paul is also saying here, there is no way that we will willingly put to death the deeds of the flesh. We need some help. <laughs> Somebody said, we need some help. Okay, let me make it plain. Um, there is no way that we will intentionally kill our flesh unless the Spirit of God is empowering us to do so. Because when we get up in the morning, guess what's screaming at us? Our flesh. And it has some desires, it has some imaginations, it has some things it has set out and planned for us for that day. And those things are not necessarily about glorifying God. It's about pacifying and filling its own appetite. So no one living according to the flesh will intentionally kill his or her sin on a heart level. At best, they may try to control or pacify their flesh, but they will not annihilate the deeds of the flesh. Why? Sin is delightful to the flesh. It feels good. Come on. It tastes good. It looks attractive. The Bible says when, when Eve saw that the fruit was good for, Eve, for, for, for food, it was attractive to her. Let me just amplify that just a little bit. I'm going to go to Ephesians 2. Paul talking to the church at Ephesus here regarding their sin prior to Christ. So Ephesians 2 one through, one, verses 1 through 3 says, and when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the, co the course of this world. Don't have the time to unpack that. Just think of that as the way of the world, the, the, pa the pathway of the world. According to the prince of the power of the, of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the son of disobedience. This is where I want to zero in. Among them, we, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul is saying that when we walked before Christ, we walked just like everybody else. We were loving everything just like everybody else that did not know God, right? And by that action, we were literally children of disobedience, and we had the wrath of God upon our lives. And that's why Jesus had to come. 
Because the power of the gospel is that is this, that Jesus came and he took all of our sins on the cross. And so no longer do we need to live in bondage to sin. Now we can move from being children of disobedience with the wrath of God on us to being children of righteousness, walking in the will and the promises of God for us. See, once we were dead in our sins, we were walking in the ways of the world, indulging our flesh and our minds. Now we are adopted into God's family through the spirit of adoption. And now he's imparting to us a brand new life. I got to get to this here. I'm going to talk about the privileges of sonship. Talk about the privileges of sonship. Privilege. You know, one of the things that Paul said is that the Spirit Himself testifies to our spirit that we're children of God. This is important. The word testifies, if you would look at some synonyms here, um, confirms, proves, demonstrates, and affirms. The Greek word here is literally uh, bear witness with. So the Spirit of God is bearing witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. Why is this important? Because when you're feeling guilty and you're feeling condemned in your conscience or in your mind but regarding sins that you may have committed, here's the antidote for that. Simply confess, repent, and then remember Romans 8.1. There is therefore now, Jesus, I want to run up and down in here, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, here's the thing. When you're by yourself in the secrecy and the privacy of your own house, home, bed, and your thoughts begin to race, and the enemy begins to bring all your stuff and tries to condemn you, Remember, he is the accuser of the brethren. And what he's looking for, he's looking for you to agree with him about your present condition. But here is the thing. We have an advocate with the Father. And everybody around here know know that I talk about double advocacy, meaning we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is our advocate, but the Holy Spirit is also our advocate. And so when our thoughts are racing and the enemy is bringing condemnation, here is the thing. We must choose to submit to God, according to James, then resist the devil and the promises that we will flee. Because when you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Jesus. Jesus did not come to condemn us. He came to reconcile us. He came to restore us back to the Father. The scripture that we quote so many times is John 3, 16. God so loved the world, and we know that, but you got to read verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's impossible to condemn and restore someone at the same time. Okay. Let me just get into the text. So, verse 14, Romans 8. The first word, if you're taking notes, is identity. It says that we are led by the Spirit of God. We are sons of God. 
In the kingdom of God, your identity is in Christ. We, we will always, who will always lead you to be in obedience to Christ. Your identity is in Christ. This will also lead you and always lead you to be in obedience to Christ. If you're in Christ and you're not obeying Christ, it simply means that you have not surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. Because what happens is, in the church of God, that we have too many people that call themselves Christian that choose to intentionally live unsurrendered life to the Father. And what tends to happen is, we can feel as though that we're on the, the narrow road, but we're really traveling on the broad road. Because if the Spirit of God lives in you, the Spirit of God will, is calling you to obey the Son. The privilege of being led by the Spirit of God is also a benefit of our adoption. Paul indicates that this is a moral benefit whereby the Holy Spirit puts in us, listen to this, he puts in us the desire to obey the Father. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. See, when you have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you, he is leading you. He is guiding you. And the path that he's guiding you in is in the path of righteousness. It's in the path of obedience to God. We need to be willing to be led by the Spirit of God. Listen, we see this in Jesus, right? We see Jesus, we see Jesus in Gethsemane. And Jesus is demonstrating sonship to us. He's about to go to the cross, and Jesus is asking the Father, Father, is there another way that we can get this done? I'm paraphrasing here. And Jesus said, listen, listen. Not my will, but thy will be done. He is surrendering to the authority of the Father. Huh. And then when he teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, he says, listen, pray like this. Thy will be done on earth as it is being done in the earth. Be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. Be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. So, so what is Paul saying here? In short, in short, if the Spirit is leading, he's leading us into self-submission to the Father. Let me, let me put it like this. The Bible didn't say as many as read their Bibles and go to church, these are the sons of God, right? It didn't say as many as are patriotic Americans that they are the sons of God. It didn't say that, did he? It didn't say as many as take communion, they are the sons of God. As many as watch Christian media and consume Christian content, they, they have to be the sons of God. No, he says, those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Here's, here's a challenge, is that we live in a church age 
And we live in a culture where discernment is eluding many people. And so we think one thing, but we really can't discern what God is really doing or what God is really saying. And so therefore, what we draw upon is our own opinions or the opinions of others. When here is the thing, discernment is powerful, but what we need to know is that God has already left his word. And so if we want to be led by the spirit, guess what we need to do? We need to be led by his word. So where does the spirit of God lead us? That's a good question. Where is he really leading us? Twelve things I just want to say. He leads us to repentance. He leads us to think little of self and much of Christ. He leads us into all truth. You may have to, get, you may have to listen to this online. He leads us into unconditional love. He leads us into humility and, watch this, holiness. The Holy Spirit leads us into submission to Christ. He leads us into usefulness in the kingdom. It means that what we do, what we say, we do all for the advancement of God's kingdom and all for the glory of the Father. He leads us into righteousness and justice and equity and mercy. Holy Spirit leading us now. He leads us to resist sin and self-centeredness. Number 10, he leads us to love God with all. Our heart, mind, soul, strength. And to love, watch this, our neighbor as ourself. And remember, the neighbor is the, is the person that, that doesn't think like you, look like you, act like you, probably the person that you hate. That's your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. He leads us to be a witness unto Christ, not unto ourselves. He leads us to be light. The light of the world and the salt of light. What does it look like for you to be led by the Spirit? There's just so much more. I wish I had time to talk about security. Security. The fact that we enjoy sonship. Are you secure in your relationship as a son? Or are you still challenged, wondering, feeling as though you need to be on performance for the approval of other people? It's amazing that in God's church, you find a place, and I love the church. Jesus died for the church. But here is the thing. This Bible is written to those that follow Jesus. And so it's amazing 
how we can say we're following Jesus and we have so much unresolved issues that we feel as though we got to go through this Christian faith performing for people. We can't say the truth because we don't want to hurt or offend people. And we are in bondage in the midst of a kingdom that the king came to set us free. <laughs> Sonship. You are a son. It means that you have certain rights and privileges available to you. Being a son means that you can come boldly into the presence of your father. He's your source. It's amazing to me also that the thing that we see Jesus doing the most, modeling sonship in the New Testament, in the Gospels, fellowshipping with the Father, prayer, is the thing that we do the least as Christians in a lot of church contexts. We struggle because we don't really understand the depth of the relationship that God has died sending Jesus to die for us to have. He wants to commune with you. And prayer is not just something you do at church when they call. A prayer meeting. Prayer is you loving fellowship with your father. The power of understanding sonship is liberating to the soul. It means now that you don't have to walk around with an orphan spirit. We unpacked that last week. How so many people are bound by an orphan spirit. They're always in competition. They're always trying to one-up another person. They're struggling. And the fact that Jesus said, listen, I will not leave you orphans, but I will send my spirit. So, sonship. Do you know how much he loves you? See, sometimes, here's, what, here, here's my challenge for, for each and every one of us today. When you are driving home and you get to a place where you can just kind of park, or maybe when you get out your vehicles and you get into a place... I just want you to consider the depth of the Father's love for you. That, listen, he did not have someone else go and pay for your sins. Everybody tracking with me? He came himself through his son. He wanted to make sure that you and I understand the depth of his love that he himself came to redeem us, to reconcile us, and we did not have to get ourselves together. We did not have to get ourselves right for him to make us right. He came to make us right.